Welcome to the Connected Communication Podcast, the show which explores how much of communication is nature and how much is nurture, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine Molani. A life well lived is the most exquisite work of art. Erwin Raphael McManus. My grandfather turned 92 on the 6th of March this year, 2023, as I record. If any of you have followed my content, heard some of my podcasts, read some of my LinkedIn articles, you'll know I talk about him a lot and have learned a lot from him. This week, his body left us, but his spirit will live on forever in the hearts and minds of the legacy he left. That quote is on the front of his mass booklet and comes from a 90th birthday photograph album that was created for him. Today I'm dedicating my podcast to him, sharing some of the lessons he taught me about life, love, business and communication, and some of the messages I got from people that they remembered him by. Grandad had five children, 11 grandchildren, and 16, soon to be 17, great-grandchildren with my wonderful grandmother. When we were kids, he had horses. He bred horses. So out the back of the family home in a place called Dunmahan in Ireland where we lived, there was a small stable in the back garden and he rented the field out the back. I loved the horses. I remember one year one was born and damaged his leg beautiful colt called Boswell, the little white flash at the top of his, the forehead, (laughs) just the same as a person. But the lesson that I learned from this horse and from having the opportunity to be with this horse was patience. Boswell wouldn't trust anybody but me. He had a seven inch cut on his leg and needed to be sprayed with iodine three times a day because obviously it needed to heal and we didn't want the cut to reopen. To be able to spray him with that cut, I had to lie in front of him in the stable for up to two, three, four hours at a time, waiting for him to allow me to come close enough. Cleverly, I would cover the spray tin with some hay so he wouldn't actually see the tin coming. I'd keep his trigger point down not bring him towards threat, think he was going towards reward. And then eventually he'd allow me to spray his leg. Over time he healed. He ended up going to stud and has been, I believe, the reason for a number of very successful racehorses since. So the lessons I learned from the horses, apart from love, kindness and care, patience. Sometimes we need to wait silently, for longer than we might anticipate or want to wait for something to be able to happen. One of the key things that people shared in the family, particularly one of my cousins who uh, is living a little bit too far away to have been able to come home, was that of Grandad's shop. Grandad was a shanky and storyteller. When we'd all go on holidays, to different parts of Wexford in the southeast of Ireland, a beautiful beach area. We would sneak up at night time and Granite would tell us late night stories. 
while we were out of bed listening to the late night stories of myth and legend of not just Ireland, but also our family. All of us would take out these little sweets that we had, blackjacks and postman pot sweets and lollipops that we'd bought from Grandad in the shop. Well, this was one of my first experiences of small business and how to use money. You got a certain amount of pocket money when you were on holidays and you had to use it wisely or else it would be gone and you couldn't get yourself any treats. So Grandad, with his little small business shop, would set up at the end of a day when we'd come home from the beach. After we all had our dinner and had our magic soup, which was really just packet soups put together and sold as magic because none of us would eat vegetable soup, he'd open the shop and we had a certain period of time to go to his little shop and buy ourselves our sweets. The lesson? Keep your money and invest it wisely in that which is going to bring you reward. Of course, there are many other money lessons, but that was the beginnings of the money lessons that I learned from Grandad, as did my other cousins. And speaking of those Wexford holidays on the beach, we learned how to be a family, how to play as a team and support each other. We'd have sandcastle competitions, rounders would be played. A rounders is a game, I think probably a bit akin to baseball, where we would have a tennis racket because, of course, we were all young and sprightly and fit. So you could hit the tennis ball quite far down the beach and you set up these bases and where the ball gets hit out and the person then runs from base to base to try to get home. And if you think about there being over time up to 11 grandchildren, all of us running around, playing and trying to beat each other, but at the same time learning how to play in teams, we had great fun. He also taught me how to fly on those holidays, <laughs> throwing me into the air, into the sea, which has remained one of my greatest loves, being in the ocean. Music and laughter were the key essence of Grandad. Well, one of the key essences, I should say. He loved a bit of swing. He and Granny, I believe, were swing champions when they were kids. And rock and roll was big in, in his house. So I have a, a cousin who would come to Grandad's house with me. We'd spend quite a lot of time there. And we'd take out, again, the tennis rackets. And you'll understand why tennis in, in a few minutes. We'd take out the tennis rackets. And the rock and roll would go on. We'd get up on the chairs and we would play our guitars. I hold my finger up beside my head when I say guitars. The guitars being the tennis rackets. Rock and rolling it out. Having lots and lots of laughter, lots and lots of crack as we moved and danced to the rock and roll hits of the 50s. He was a bit cheeky granddad too. So he taught me quite a bit about sarcasm and how to hit the fine line of just enough cheekiness in what you say without it going too far to a point where it might hurt somebody. He wasn't the one for trying to hurt people very much. He was a very kind man. And more laughter would come from bareback donkey riding. If you've ever been on a donkey, you'll know what I mean. But if you haven't, imagine the feeling of when you're running down a hill and you can't stop yourself. So you start to get this doop, 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 and there's nothing you can do but start laughing. 
Well, that's what used to happen when we'd ride Jenny around the field. Music and laughter were always in that house. They filled it. The next lesson Granda taught me was to believe in magic. How to be pure and kind and good and bring in magic to everything. Now, if you've got young children listening to this, you might want to switch it off for a second. Or maybe I can say it in a way that won't reveal any secrets. No, I can't. But Grandad was Santa at Christmas time. We lived out in the countryside, in a small area outside of Dundalk in County Louth in Ireland. So there were maybe, I don't know, 10 or so houses around us and all had kids in them. At Christmas time, on Christmas Eve, of course, it's important to try to get the kids in bed early enough so that all of the presents can be brought out and the area prepared for them getting up to Santa having come the next morning. One of the ways that they would get us to go to bed was Grandad being Santa. So he'd go off, he'd just suddenly disappear. And you know, hindsight is a great thing. <laughs> when I reflect upon it now, I, I, I know that I actually saw my granddad in the Santa, but I'll come back to that in a second. So he'd disappear. We'd have this lovely evening every Christmas Eve where people would all come over. There'd be lots of food. And then as it died down, granddad was gone. And suddenly you'd start to hear bells ringing. And all of the children would get really excited and start looking out the windows, thinking Santa had come, wondering if they should already be in bed, if they might get in trouble, if Santa might not leave their gifts. But this one particular year, Santa popped into our house for a visit. He only had a small bag of tricks with him then. It wasn't the big full presents for the next day. But I remember thinking when I was looking at him, gosh, Santa looks really like Grandad. Or Grandad looks really like Santa. And as I say this now, I can vividly see him sitting in front of me in that dining room and me having this thought. Did I connect the two? Not a bit. Grandad came back half an hour later out of the bathroom <laughs> where he disappeared to. And I ran up to him. Grandad, Grandad, Santa came. Do you know he looks really like you? The innocence of a child, huh? But that was the depth of my belief in the magic. And there was more belief, of course, that came from my mom and different things that she did. But that's a, a story for another day. The next morning on Christmas Day, my sisters and I and my mom would spend it in Granny and Grandad's house. And it was the tradition that Grandad would hand out the gifts. So we had very much a procedure that was followed. We would have breakfast because we'd have gone to mass the night before, usually on Christmas Eve. We'd have a nice breakfast and then it was present time. So everybody gathered in the dining room around the tree. Granda would kneel down under the tree and hand out all of the Christmas gifts. And that's since been passed down to my brother-in-law, but we don't always spend Christmas mornings together anymore. But it's a, it was a lovely tradition to keep. The next lesson my granddad taught me was that a girl can do anything she wants. And that includes cutting trees, painting fences and DIY. He taught me not to be afraid of dirt, getting my hands dirty, digging my hands into things, mucking out stables, painting fences. But all of these lessons taught me that I could have the courage and conviction to 
be and do whatever I wanted. I'd put on my old clothes on a Saturday morning, go down to Grandad, into the garage. He'd start measuring. He taught me how to mix paint and be as diligent as possible in every job I could do. And I'm thinking of my my grandmother and my aunts and my mum listening to this thinking, hmm, yeah, but you know, every time Grandad put something together or built it, there'd always be a screw missing somehow or an extra screw. And he'd be delighted with himself that he'd finished putting the thing together and had an extra couple of screws left over. Only for a couple of years later, the whatever he built being a little bit sideways and us wondering whether those screws would have been better off going into the piece of equipment in the first place. But that was an incredible lesson. If you want to cut down trees, Christine, you cut trees. You want to paint fences, paint fences. There's no difference in you being able to have the abilities than anybody else. Granted was a being of nature and nurture. He always had a greenhouse. In fact, and I can't corroborate this, I don't know for sure, but he told me a story about when he lived in Waterford, way, way back, I think in, let me see, would have been the 50s. Actually, even before that, when he lived in Dublin in Emmet Street with his father, they had a bit of a garden out the back and he and his father used to carry in scraps and bits of glass and wood and anything that they could find or, or get their hands on. And slowly they built a greenhouse, which I believe from his account was one of the first greenhouses in the area and possibly one of the first greenhouses in general. Later then, when he was in Waterford, he built a tunnel greenhouse. So a bit like the tunnel plastic ones that you see today, but his was a standing tunnel because his garden was too small for a a wider one. He had a real green finger. Growing up, we had a vegetable patch out the back in my mum's house for many years. And you get hungry and all you'd hear is, well, go outside and pick a carrot. There was no going into fridges or into presses or anything like that for the food. So Grandad taught us how to plant, how to prune, how to grow and how to nurture with love that which came from the earth. We all used to bale hay together as well. If you imagine seeing these big, beautiful golden fields full of, in our time, square bales. They do round bales now more so than square bales. But it was a very clever trick on his part. Again, from a business perspective, a great lesson. Because he had the horses, and horses are expensive to keep, he needed to be able to get access to food for them as much as possible. What better way to get access to food for horses than to do a deal with the local farmers that he would bale their hay in their fields for them every year in return for feed for the horses. So he never was shy of having hay. He always had enough to feed them with. But that meant that he did something which he has definitely passed on to me and which I do very well in the work that I do. And that's bring people together. When I work with teams, when I worked in classrooms and had multiple nationalities, new nationalities coming in every week, new people coming in every week. It was really important to very quickly be able to help people connect. So we bailed the hay 
But we didn't just bale the hay with Grandad. All of the local neighbours bale the hay. And we have pictures of us sitting on the back of trailers, 10, 15 children from all the different families around the area, holding up their juice, sweating buckets because they'd been baling the hay in the fields and lifting up all the bales and stacking them. We also, of course, used to make huts out of the bales. And at the end of the day, we were allowed to play in the huts. We great fun. When you think back to it now, the dangers probably <laughs> that existed, you wouldn't be allowed to do it now as kids. Well, maybe not in the, the wider areas, but I'm sure they still do it in the, in the proper countryside. Grandad was a fighter. He believed in the fight for freedom. And his family was driven out of the north of Ireland during the Troubles and made to, to go to the south, made to, to go into Dublin. Well, they didn't have to go to Dublin, but that was where they went. And he used to share a lot of stories about his uncle and, and his parents and different things that they would do to try and maintain the freedom of Ireland and the freedom of family, but also how to honour the family, to never give up, to always remember where and what we came from and what people behind us have fought for. And that at the end of it all, the most important thing to fight for is your family and maintaining the honour of your family. He was a sportsman. And this is probably Grandad's greatest legacy, apart from his family. He never drank or, drank or smoked. Well, he did smoke once. He only told me this story this year, actually. It was fascinating to hear it, because you never saw Grandad with a drink or a cigarette in his hand. But when he was young, he, he was a, a boxer. I'll go into the different sports that he did now in a second. He decided that he'd try out this smoking thing. They were his words. He'll just try out this smoking thing and see what it's all about. And he bought himself a packet of cigarettes. He said, I took two or three puffs. Thought, nope, they're not for me. So I pulled them all out of the packet and threw them all up in the air, much to the joy of the lads around him, who then got their hands in them. He held that conviction all his life, never drinking and never smoking, was a pioneer. I actually collected his pioneer badge from, uh, I think it was his gold badge at some time when I was a child, which is a bit ironic because that's not the direction I took. Unfortunately, although I did want to be an Olympic swimmer when I was 14. But the reason that he held that conviction was because of his pure love of sports and fitness. He started as a boxer and would tell me these stories about being in the Emmett Street clan. Emmett Street is a, a street in Dublin and that's where his family lived. But it's right beside another street where there would have been some tough characters living. So Grandad started boxing and there were two lads living on his street. He and another lad or guy who were boxers fighting in one of the local clubs and went on then to fight for Ireland. He said one day this group of lads came round the corner to try and start a fight with the Emmett Street clan. And he and his friends stepped forward. They said, right, who wants us? One on one, we'll fight you. Well, that clan never came fighting on the Emmett Street Road again <laughs> or around near the Emmett Street clan again, because in a couple of punches on Grandad's account, 
they were down and out for the count. In 1949, he was the featherweight boxing champion of Ireland. Later, he went on to play tennis, becoming a champion in the south of the country, as far as I know. I think it was just the south, not, not around the whole country, but he loved tennis. When he retired, he took up golf. And he played golf until he was 83 or 84 years of age. He walked until he wasn't allowed to walk anymore. Grandad never stopped. Never stopped with his sports, never stopped moving, knew the importance of keeping your body going, keeping yourself fit, keeping yourself healthy and your mind alongside it. We move on now to the last couple of lessons. Grand had worked for Cadbury's, uh, then Cadbury Ireland, I think they call it. It opened here in the mid 50s, I believe. And he started out while well, he'd been a tailor before that and was doing merchandising in the tailor shop. And he got noticed for his merchandising skills. So he went on then to study merchandising. And then a job came up in Cadbury's that he was advised to go for. So he did. And he got it. Every memory that I was sent by family, friends, and anybody who knew him or remembered them him as as children said the same thing. Oh, I remember your granddad and the chocolate. Because he worked for Cabri's, he always had a supply of chocolate in his car. Now that I say this out loud, it makes it sound a little bit sinister. But I talked to one lad the other night, and he said to me. I remember you'd come down the road and your granddad would be outside the field, you know, after bailing the hay. And he'd open the boot of the car and slip you an eclair. <laughs> an eclair is a little toffee and chocolate. Sweet. Very, very tasty. But as we both said to each other the other day, they're not the same anymore. Chocolate's not the same inside them. They're smaller. But granddad would slip you an eclair. Now put that in your pocket. Don't get caught with it. And one of my former best friends from when I was a child who graciously also came to his funeral the other day and I hadn't seen her in, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 odd years now. It was really lovely. He sent me a message and said, I remember he used to, you go into the house and he'd just slip you a bar of dairy milk and say the same thing. Put that in your pocket. Don't tell anybody. At Easter, he would be sent one Easter egg at least for each of his grandchildren and then maybe 10 or 15 more on top of it just in case. So you'd walk into a room filled with boxes of Easter eggs and be told to take your choice. But what I learned from Grandad and his work in Cabris was one, merchandising skills. I knew how to set up displays of Christmas hampers when I worked in delis uh, in my early, oh, in my late teens in a way that nobody else was able to do, which of course meant that you'd get the sale. To do the best possible job that you can do, no matter who is looking. Or maybe you always imagine that somebody might be looking at you, so you do the best job you can possibly do. That something which is beautiful to display takes care and attention. And that when you put care and attention and effort into things, that care, attention and effort will be noticed. To always show up, dress up and stand up for what you believe in, and for, as I said before, the honour of your family. They are incredible characteristics and 
lessons to have learned. But the greatest lesson of all that Grandad taught me was love. Love and honour. To love and honour yourself and others. He was a gentleman. He didn't like to argue. He didn't like to face confrontation, but he wouldn't back down if necessary. And he never went looking for it. He believed in working hard and taking care of those he loved with all his heart and soul, believing in the best of everyone. He loved my grandmother to the ends of the earth. They would have been 68 years married on the 12th of June. And it was so beautiful to see how his eyes lit up when she smiled, even after such a long time. Until his final days, he would make her an ice cream every night at eight o'clock. That was ice cream time. Two wafers and a rectangle raspberry ripple. The evidence of the legacy of his love was at his funeral. Of his 11 grandchildren, all of us were there with the exception of one who's about to welcome his own child into the world and of course couldn't come for that reason. Some of their children were there. And everybody who sees us when we come together in a group, comment with surprise and shock as to how we can all come together. No matter how far apart we've been, no matter where we are in the world or in our lives, we all come together, we sit down at a table, we laugh, we reminisce, we share stories of our own lives and what's happening in them, our troubles and our strife and our joys. And we get on well together. We share love. We love and honour each other. We love and honour ourselves. And that is the legacy that will live on. A life well lived is the most exquisite work of art. Grandad lived his life to the absolute fullest. He left us with love. He left us with honour. And he left us with each other. If there is any lesson that you can take away from this, it is to love. Honour yourself. Honour others. And live your life like you were painting an exquisite work of art. Sleep well, Grandad. <laughs>